The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Look, here we are. We're at Beatitudes number three. We're looking in this sermon series at the sermon that Jesus preached. And incidentally, if I don't mention this now, next week Kevin's going to be preaching and he's going to be going further into chapter five. Because we're just doing the first, what, 11 or 12 verses of chapter five, the Beatitudes. I want to encourage you to help him to read the rest of the chapter. Otherwise, the first thing he's going to do next week is read the whole thing. And so it will help him. If he doesn't have to read that, has more time to talk, and that help you out as well. So this week's homework is, I read Matthew chapter 5, obviously along with all of your other reading as well. I don't want to stop that. But if we can read Matthew chapter 5, that will really help. Here we are, we've been talking about the Beatitudes, this sermon that Jesus preached. And this bit that we're beginning with is his opening statements. And Jesus in this opening passage is giving a list a list of what the Christian is supposed to be like, the characteristics that are supposed to be in the life of every Christian. And so they're called the Beatitudes, and and there's a sense in which we want to just pick one of them and say, okay, that's the one I like. No, 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 this is not a pick-and-mix list. This is all of this list is supposed to be all of it in your life. All of it, okay? Not pick-and-mix, not I like that one, I don't like that one. All of it in your life. That's what Jesus is bringing. So he's giving this list and it's something that we can hold our lives up against. How, how am I doing with this? Do I like this? Well, I don't know whether I do like all of them because there's a challenge in them. You know, am I poor in spirit? So we ask, am I poor in spirit? You can ask yourself. Am I mourning over the sin that I still see happening in my life? Am I humble? Am I pursuing righteousness? We can ask ourselves these questions because it's a list that we can bring our lives up to and we can start to evaluate, hey, where am I in this? How am I getting on in this? You know, as we look at these Beatitudes, what I see is there's a list of things that are really quite contrary to the ways of the world. I mean, Jesus is teaching us the way that we should go, the way for us as Christians to go. And yet we find, whoa, this is quite different from the world. Look at some of the things that he's saying to us. Jesus, or the world, for instance, would say, be confident. Self-confidence is what we want. We want people to be self-confident, self-assured in life. That's the way you need to be. Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to recognize that actually you have a spiritual poverty. And I want you to work on being more and more humble. He says things that are different. The world says to us, make fame wealth and happiness your goal. Make that, that's, what, that's what will make you great in this world. If you pursue those things, if you engage in those things, if you grow in wealth and happiness and fame, wow, you are going to be the person that has reached the best goal. That's what the world teaches. But Jesus says this, no, no, no. The goal that you need to set yourself is to pursue, is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what he says. So we've got this situation where the world is saying this, but Jesus is saying that. And so we see these beatitudes really are quite opposite to the world's ways. 
But here we want to take hold of the teaching that Jesus is bringing because this is what is for every Christian. And you know what? It's not just what he says. This is the way for every Christian. When we go into the letters of Paul, we see Paul writing to the Christians in Rome. And what does he write to them? He says this, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says to them, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. See, he's encouraging us again. Don't don't get hold of the world's goals and ways. Don't don't be conformed to that. Get hold of the list that Jesus is bringing because this is his light that comes into you. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So then the Christian is the person who is becoming more and more like Jesus as each day passes. And that happens as we listen to his commands. Yeah, but not just listen to them. As we listen and take hold of them and obey his commands. We literally live them out. That's when things really start to change. And you know what? For Paul, Paul wasn't just somebody saying, hey, I'm going to teach you this. This is what you need to do. Listen to it. You know, do this and everything's going to go well. He implemented this in his own life. Which is why we read of Paul writing to the Galatians. Galatians 2 verse 20 where he says of himself, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now he's writing that as a man. So it's not as though he had literally died. He's saying, look, look, the life I'm now living. You know that life I used to live? The way that I wanted to live? Full of self-confidence. Going after the the goals of the world. That life I used to live, I've died to that. I'm no longer living for that. I have been crucified. In other words, he said, okay, I've put that to death for the sake of Jesus. And the life I now live, I no longer live, he says, sorry, but Christ lives in me. So in other words, now Jesus is coming in. If you want to shine like a light as Jesus wants us to, then we need his light in us to shine out of us. Our light is is corrupted. His light is pure. So we need to get Jesus into us. And this list that Jesus is giving to us is important for us. So we have seen so far in this that we will be happy. We will find happiness when we discover about the poverty of our spirit. Happy are those, it says, who mourn. Happy are those who are humble. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this morning we want to press in, as I say, to the last four of these. The first of which we'll look at today is, happy are the merciful. Matthew 5 verse 7, it says, happy are the merciful, or blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So we understand from this that the Christian is supposed to be merciful. Well, what does it mean to be merciful? There's one thing to say, like, oh, you're supposed to be merciful. Well, what does that look like? That's the sort of way I hold these things. Okay, you're telling me this, but what does it mean for me? We've got to understand what it means. So mercy, this is what mercy is. Mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance that is shown towards the offender, an enemy, or another person in one's power. Okay, I'm going to unpack that more, so don't worry if you didn't understand half of that. The the essential meaning of of being merciful is that you have compassion. You have a deep sympathy, 
on someone for a situation that they're going through. You're, you're sympathizing, you're empathizing, you, you're concerned for them. But it's not just that you're concerned, oh, I'm concerned for you, oh, great. It's that you then do what you can, you act to help them in the best way that you can. That is being merciful. So it's not just like, oh, I felt sorry for them. I felt, you, know, you can feel sorry for lots of people. But do you do anything about it? Having mercy is like, I really feel for you in that need. Let me do what I can to help you come out of that situation. That is being merciful. Now, there's two words in the Bible, grace and mercy. And these words are quite closely linked because they're quite similar in, in their application, but they have slightly different meanings. So let me just identify that too. Grace is a loving response in a situation where love is really undeserved. Grace is a loving response in a situation where love is really undeserved. The grace of God is poured out upon our lives in that he sent Jesus to come and rescue us from our sins. That was a loving response, but our position was we're in enmity against God. I don't know who you are. I don't care about you. I'm... You see, we were fighting against God, but God still came. That was God showing his grace to us. Mercy is a loving response which is activated when you see the need and the helplessness of the one who is being shown love. So God looked upon us and could see that mankind was dead in their trespasses and sins. But he didn't just stop there. So he sent his son to come and be our saviour. There's that action that comes. A great example of mercy in a picture that we can all understand is the story of the Good Samaritan. We know the story, or perhaps if you don't know the story, there's a guy who's going on his way to Jericho. This is a story that Jesus told. And on his way to Jericho, this guy gets robbed. So he gets beaten up, and he get, all of his goods get taken away, and he's left dying, literally, because he's been beaten so badly. And there he is lying on the ground. And then as the story goes on, there are various people who come and walk past him. There's a priest that walks up past him. There's a Levite. They see this guy in his need, but they just walk past but then Jesus talks about a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan don't really want to have anything to do with the Jews. So there's some context there. This is like, okay, so somebody who's like, I don't care about these people. That's the position we've got. A Samaritan comes along, but he has compassion for the man. Wow, I can see the need he's got. He's been beaten up. He's been robbed. How can I help him? And he stops and he takes care of him. He, you know, he binds up his wounds, he helps to bring healing oil to him, and then he puts the guy on his own donkey and then takes him to the nearest hotel and he pays for him to be put up until he's well enough to go on his own way. That's mercy. The Samaritan didn't walk past as the others did. You can have compassion, but mercy is when you're seeing the need and you're doing something to come and help him. And that's exactly what the good Samaritan did in that situation. The Beatitude says, happy are the merciful. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But you know, as I read that, it sort of implies this. If I'm merciful, then it's like a tit-for-tat situation. If I'm merciful, then I will receive mercy. Do you see what I mean? It's that sense of happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And you know what? If you read on as you're going to this week, oh, and actually this is in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 6. You're supposed to be reading Matthew chapter 5. You can leave 6 to the week after. Um, actually, why not read all of it? But that's another thing entirely. That's another sermon. 
If you read on a little bit further in Matthew, you come to the section where Jesus is talking about the prayer, uh, uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says in Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's the same sort of principle that we're seeing. Forgive our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And actually, if you read a bit further on, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm reading this. This is like, well, what is this? Is this some sort of credit system? Like, okay, I show mercy, I get mercy. I forgive, and then I'm forgiven. That seems to be what the Scriptures seem to be indicating. But I realize now this is not a credit system, not a point system. This is more of a comprehension system. And let me explain what I mean. It's not that I show mercy so that I can receive mercy, a sort of a selfishness. I forgive so that I can be forgiven. But rather it is that I have been shown mercy, which is why I also show mercy to other people. I have been forgiven, which is why... I forgive others. It's about our understanding, our comprehension. When I fully understand what has happened for me, that changes the way I act towards other people. Now, in truth, I would say I have looked at that slightly wrongly from the point of view that there is a sense in which you would say, well, if we don't forgive, we're not going to be forgiven because that's what that scripture does indicate. But when we stop and think about it, Look, if we worked on that system, that almost like a point system, I forgive, I forgive, so then I get credits back so I can be forgiven. I don't need God to help me. I can do all that's all in my power. It's up to me. If I show mercy, I can get mercy. If I forgive, I can get forgiven. It's all up to me. It's all in my own strength. And as soon as you begin to realize that, you see like, whoa, whoa. Because what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were in a position where we couldn't do anything. And it was only the grace of God that actually came to help us. Ephesians 2 verses 5 and then 8 and 9 say this. We were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And verses 8 and 9 says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is not from yourself. So it's not like, oh, here we are working up a credit system. This is what God has done for us. What we need to understand, we need to have this comprehension of the mercy and grace that has been shown to us. It's difficult, okay? Because, you know, we can go through communion and we understand there's elements, there's symbols here to help us reflect upon the body of Jesus that was broken for us, upon the blood that was poured out for us. It's to help us to understand, to make connection, to give us more than just words, to give us images, to help us to understand. And we need this, and we need to go home, and we need to think these things through. We need to ponder on these things. God has shown mercy to us when we were helpless in our sins, when we were lost in our former way of life, when we weren't doing anything. He had compassion on us. He saw the position that we were in and he was loving us and caring for us and concerned for us so much so that he acted and did whatever he could to come and get us out of that position and bring us back into relationship with him. It is because of what he has done 
for me that I now choose to be merciful to others. Happy, happy are those who have, who are merciful because they will receive mercy. It's not a credit system. It's like you will go on receiving mercy. God will continue to be merciful to you. But he's expecting us to be like him and to be merciful to others. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The next one, number six in our Beatitudes list is this. It says, happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How important is that? You want to see God? Now, I know that's a sense of like, we want the likeness of God and in, with our human eyes. And I'm not talking about with our human eyes. I'm talking about with our spiritual understanding. I'm talking about having the knowledge of who God is, of knowing him. The Bible says this is eternal life, that you know me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom I have sent. That's that's really the essence of what we want. We want to know that eternal life. We want to know God. We want to see God. We want to have that intimacy with him. There's only one way, this scripture says, there's only one way we're going to find that out, and that is if we're pure in heart. So it's important for us, I believe, to get hold of this and to see that we need to be pure in heart. What is our heart? The Bible talks of the fact that our hearts is the very core of our being, the very center It's the place, literally, where everything else flows from. Things come out of our hearts. They come out of our hearts and then they come out of our mouths. But they come out of our hearts first. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus talked about the heart and he talked about things that come out of the heart, but not all of them were good. Listen to what he says. Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and these are what defile a person. It's our hearts. Our hearts can have good things, good thoughts. Christmas Day, our hearts are flowing with good things. I want to give you presents. I'm going to serve you lunch. It's always like good things. But away from Christmas Day, I want what I want. I see something in the world. I see this. I want to take hold of that. Out of our hearts... All sorts of things flow. Jesus is saying, listen, you need to think about the heart. The heart needs to be pure if you're going to see me. How important is for that? Here we are in church saying, we want to see God. We want a close relationship with God. Well, that means, by definition, we're saying, I need to make sure that my heart is being cared for and that I am purifying my heart. Now, it's not only Jesus who's saying this. The writer to the Hebrews underlines exactly the same thing. Hebrews 12, verse 14, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness. Look, if right now you're sitting here and you know you're walking in a sin, okay, it's corrupting your ability to see God. Don't, don't, let's not pretend. Let's come right down and nail some things. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But you see, we need to have that uncomfortability. We need to recognize, oh my goodness, some of this stuff's got to go. Yes, it has to go. You think it's easy to let go of things? Sins that so easily beset us? It's not easy. That's why when we look at Paul and Paul says, 
I am crucified. We have to get to an end. We have to learn to die. It's got to stop. Sometimes the only way it can stop is if I die. It's serious stuff. But God wants us to see him. He wants us to know the reality of him. He wants us to know what it's going to take. He wants to tell us the truth because he so earnestly desires to have relationship with us. He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to walk towards him. Luke 6 verse 45 says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now can I just point out, we can see this like a good person and a bad person. I gave my life to Jesus. Automatically, I'm not a bad person. I'm a very good person. But you see, that doesn't talk about the effect of the sin life, the flesh that's still here. So you see, what happens is mentally, oh, I go to church, I'm a good person. So all of that other stuff doesn't apply to me. Only what comes out of my mouth is pure and holy. It's not true. And if you stop and think about it, you'll realize it's not true. What we need to understand is we need him to come and help us. Without him, we're nothing. We're lost. We need him to come and help purify our hearts. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the state of your heart? It's not answering to me. I've got to answer to God myself. We just want to say, God, what is the state of our hearts? What, what is it that we pay constant attention to? What is it that we give ourselves to? What is it that we really love? What are the things that we're giving our hearts to? What are the things that we want more than anything else? Is it that we do want fame or we do want a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger salary or we want more fame in terms of our people or our families or we want to look good or we want to have a great uh, educational background or we want to have everything that makes us look good? What is it that our hearts are hungering? It's an important question to ask, and it's not necessarily a comfortable question to ask. But to what extent do your words and your actions cover up for what is really going on in our hearts? Our problem is that we often have divided hearts. One part of us loves the things of God and wants to worship him. But one part of us also loves the things of the world and wants to keep hold of that. And you find you've got this sort of spread leg situation where you've got one leg that's definitely in the church, definitely for Jesus, definitely there, but this other leg still doesn't want to catch up with it. It wants to remain in the place of, of naughtiness, of sinfulness, with all of the lusts and the corruption and the things that stop me from seeing him because my leg is attached to the wrong place. There's something that my heart wants to be in two places. The duplicity never works. We have to learn to be single-hearted, single-minded, to know God and to love him. And that is a problem that we face. And in truth, it's not a problem that we have the ability to overcome. We only overcome with the Holy Spirit's help. That's why we need to call upon him. Without him, we're lost. I need you, Holy Spirit to help me through this. Philippians 2 verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act on his behalf. Now what that scripture is saying is basically, look, God is working in you. He's working in you to work his stuff out inside of you. You keep trying to do it in your own strength. Trust him. Listen to him. Do what he says. I was reading Jeremiah this morning, and I have to say, Jeremiah, and I know William loves the book of Jeremiah, a great prophet, great book to read. But one thing that kept coming across to me this morning is, this guy Jeremiah is telling all of the Israelites what's going to happen before it happens. So he's telling people, look, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. Nah, 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 it's not. Not going to happen, not going to happen. That's what everybody's saying, but he keeps telling them. And what struck me is, Jeremiah is constantly telling the truth. But the people find it hard to listen. And that's what struck me with this. Listen, Jesus is constantly telling us the truth. But we struggle to hear what he's actually saying. And I look back at Jeremiah and I'm, saying, I'm thinking to myself, well, you, you guys are stupid. Why didn't you just listen to what the prophet said? That's easy. And we could say the same things of ourselves this morning. Why don't we just listen to what Jesus is saying? He says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's what he says. And he wants to help us in that. So, hallelujah. Seven and eight are these. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In his teaching, Jesus isn't saying happy are those who enjoy peace and quiet. Happy are those who enjoy isolation. Happy are those who just stand in the middle of a field looking at everything. It's peaceful. He's not saying that. There's an activity here. He's saying happy, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who actually seek to bring to an end the hostilities that are happening around them, to them, the enmity that is about them. They are working to bring that to the ultimate goal of peace. Happy are the peacemakers. And of course, we could look at the life of Jesus. I'm going to jump over this a little bit. We can look at the life of Jesus because he is the ultimate peacemaker. He came to bring peace where there was no peace. He came to bring peace between the Jew and the Gentile between mankind. He came to bring peace between man and God. By what he did on the cross, he came to bring peace. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. But Jesus is saying to us, his people, his children, that our role is also to be peacemakers and to seek to end enmity that mankind brings between himself and between God as well. We're called to be peacemakers, not only bringing the gospel and the truth of the gospel to everyone, but also easing tensions, seeking solutions, facilitating communication wherever there is unrest. You look at what's going on in the press at the moment, whether it be to do with all the things about Partygate and politics and what's going on with that, which we're all fed up about. Incidentally, please don't judge if at any point you also didn't keep the rules during lockdown. I've noticed that, how easy it is for us to judge. I did break some of the rules, unfortunately. I can't, I didn't have any parties, but (laughs) what I'm just saying is we love to judge. The press loves to judge. It's not right. It doesn't help anybody. There needs to be peace. And then you've got on the other side, you've got Ukraine, Russia, you know, NATO, everything's going off over there. How do we be peacemakers in this situation? 
We, you know, the governments are trying to do things. It's, it's a big, big thing, isn't it? He's called us to be peacemakers. I don't know the situations that surround you, perhaps family, unrest, workplace, unrest, children, unrest, whatever. We need to be peacemakers. We've been called to bring peace. And sometimes that means laying down our ideas, our agenda for the sake of peace. Peace is sometimes difficult to find, but he's called us to be peacemakers, and that is what we are. Peacemakers will be called children of God. You know what it's like with the children? I can say it here because I know my daughter's here, my grandchildren are here. They're mine. Hands off. That's how it makes me feel as a dad, as a granddad. That's how it makes me feel. Listen, this is Jesus talking about you. You're my children. Hands off everybody else. They're mine. Peacemakers have the right to be called the children of God. Finally, whoo, and that's not just about the youth. That's because we're getting through to number eight. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, here we are at the end of the Beatitudes, this list of Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for saving the best bit till the end. He's basically saying, if you follow this list, this is what's going to happen. But you see, we've already identified in listening to the list that he's presenting something that is different from the ways of the world. And you know, when things are different, people speak out about them. Hey, that's not the same. You know, conform to the way that I want you to conform. But people don't always conform to the way that you want them to uh, conform. They do things differently. And when you're different and you're living differently, then people who aren't living the same way want to start pointing it out to you. And so they start saying things. What are you doing that for? You know, well, don't be, it's okay for me to take these things home from the office. No, it's not. It's stealing. Well, you say what you want, but I think it's okay. I mean, gosh, they don't pay us enough. You've heard all the sorts of things we're talking about, I'm sure. Whether it's you in your situation or you've heard from somebody else. We know this stuff happens. Jesus is just saying, listen, persecution comes to those who walk in the ways that I am asking you to walk. So with that in mind, we shouldn't be surprised at receiving persecution for seeking to live out the Beatitudes. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness looks strange and odd when other people are hungering and thirsting after pleasure and self-satisfaction. It just looks odd. It's interesting to note that Jesus didn't say happy are those who are persecuted for political reasons. He didn't say happy are those who are persecuted for a particular cause. He didn't say happy are those who are persecuted because they were fanatical. No, he said this. He said happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness. You see, because often we can say like, I'm being persecuted because I'm standing up for Boris. I'm standing up for him. Why should he be judged? You could be persecuted for that. Jesus is not going to say anything about that. This is a political thing. And we can stand up and say, well, I'm supporting this cause. This is the best cause. Everybody should be following my cause and this is the right thing. And it may have good about it, but it's not the same thing. Jesus says this, you get persecuted when you are following righteousness, which basically means when you're living the way that Jesus has asked you to live. That's what it's about. That's when we're going to face persecution. Oh, yes. Let's just pray.
Father, 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 what do we say? What do we say? We have fallen short of your standards. Our hearts, Lord, are in duplicitous. We're in two places at once. We hunger for your things of your kingdom, and yet we also want to be recognized and to fit in with the world. We don't want persecution, Lord. We want an easy life. Please, Lord, help us to understand these beatitudes. Help us to understand this list. Help us to make it into our lives. Help us to draw these things into our lives. Help us to live in purity of heart, Lord. Help us to be peacemakers to those around us. Lord, we need your help, Lord. We want to be merciful. We want to show mercy to those around us. Lord, give us the resources. We don't just want to be helping so that it looks to others like we're being good. We want to do it with the right motives, with the right heart. And we need help. So please, Father, let us hear the sermon that Jesus preached and help us to put it into action in our own lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, seal these things in our hearts. May the words of Jesus echo in our minds to help us as we live through the week. Lord, as we're going back into our homes, into our schools, into our colleges, into our places of work, into our supermarkets or wherever we are, Lord, may the voice of the Holy Spirit keep speaking to us the truths that we've been looking at so that truly we may live for you and that we may see you and love you and have relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com